Turn now to a reading from Scripture. We're going to be opening up to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 25. As you can see in the order of service, we're going to be looking at Psalm 19 about how God shows himself in creation and also in his word. And Romans 1 is where Paul really starts to draw out what that means for our lives and actually the lives of every single person in the world. So let's start reading then in verse 16. Paul says, For the wrath of... Oh, sorry, two verses earlier. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written... The righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's pray for God's blessing on His Word now. Lord, we do echo the words of that psalm that you would show us what is in your word, and that when you have shown us, when you have taught us, that you would keep us faithful, keep us in your word, keep us in your ways. Lord, you alone can do this, and you are powerful and loving to do this. And therefore, we ask you to do this now, as we hear from your word and we prepare to serve you in the week ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this evening we'll be looking together at Psalm 19. That's Psalm 19. If you remember, we've been taking a brief break. We finished up the book of Ruth, and we'll be starting another book uh, in about two weeks. But we've been looking at some of the Psalms, and the theme that we've been looking at both last week and this week is especially God and what He does in creation. If you remember, the Psalm we looked at last week was showing us about how God has created so many wonderful things for us, And now he preserves all those things. And this evening, we're going to look again at a psalm, and we're going to focus on Psalm 19. Let's read the whole psalm together then. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. 
In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I was thinking about this psalm a lot last week. It's probably not a surprise because I was getting ready to preach on it. But I was, I was thinking about this psalm especially as we drove down to South Carolina. I was thinking about that because as I was looking out the window of the car, all that I could see was the sky, and it was beautiful. There were lots of these little puffy cumulus clouds kind of as far as the eye could see, And above them were these little long clouds that looked like somebody had taken a paintbrush and just painted these nice white lines across the sky. It was beautiful. And when I looked out of that window, verse 1 kept coming to my mind. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That was Thursday morning. How many people do you think saw that same sky on Thursday morning? Probably millions of people from here to South Carolina. There's a lot of people. But how many of those very same people missed what the sky was actually telling them? How many people did not see and respond to the glory of God in creation? I'm not not going to guess at a number, but what I do know is that God was not the problem. He was speaking very clearly through what he had made. God speaks to us very clearly in what he has made and also in what he has said, and that is what Psalm 19 is about. God reveals himself in creation, and he reveals himself in his word, and we are meant to respond to both of those in worship and dependence. That really shows us what Psalm 19 is about. God shows us himself so that we can worship and depend on him. Again, God is showing us himself so that we can worship him and depend on him. We'll see this together as we look at how God shows us his glory in creation. See that verses 1 through 6. And we'll see how God shows us his grace in his law in verses 7 through 11. And finally, we'll see how we show our dependence in response in verses 12 to 14. 
So David begins this psalm by showing that God is the one who shows us his glory in creation. God shows us who he is in what, he's in what he has made. In particular, who God shows himself to be, we see in the sky and everything else in it. David could have picked any part of creation. You can remember the psalm we looked at last week. He looked at the earth and the sea and all those kinds of things. Here, David makes us look up. As he points us to the sky, he wants us to see what God shows, how God shows it, and also where he shows it. What, what does God show us about himself as we look at the sky? Think about that. David, in verses 1 through 2, starts to answer that question. The heavens show us the glory of God. They show us his handiwork. They speak to us about him, and they give us knowledge of him. There's a lot packed into those verses. I just want to focus on glory for a minute. The fact that the sky above shows us God's glory. What does glory mean? What are the heavens showing us? Glory is the weightiness, the worth, the uniqueness that belongs to God alone because he is God. Think about the the many stories in the Bible when people see the glory of God clearly. Think about Isaiah when he stands in God's presence in Isaiah 6. Or again, look at John when he meets Jesus in John chapter 1. Seeing God's glory is an awe-inspiring experience. It leads us to worship. And David says that's exactly what we see when we look at the heavens. We see God's glory. We see that in its very existence as we see a God who is able to make anything he wants. And we see God's glory in the complexity of the heavens. We see God is a unique, powerful, and wise creator. There is no one, no one like him. We also see God's glory in the way that he preserves and governs what he's made. In verse 2, David shows us the cycles of day and night. Verses 4 to 6, it's the progress of the sun across the sky each and every day. We see God's glory We see his power, we see his wisdom again, and we also, day by day, night by night, we see God's faithfulness and that he does not change. Now, a verse that comes to mind is what we just read. We think about what God has shown us. Think about what Paul's said in Romans 1.20. For God's invisible attributes namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. What Paul is saying and what David's saying are the same. Everything that God made tells us about God. And actually, it tells us a lot about God. I think, actually, we often undersell the amount that God reveals to us about himself in creation. You know, it's true that we can't learn about Christ or salvation when we look at the world around us. Those are vital. But I think that we actually need to be more like David and recognize how much God actually shows us about himself in the world around us. So David is saying, 
God shows us many things in his creation. And David then goes on to describe how he does that. How does God show us himself in the sky and everything that he's made there? And what David says is unexpected. He says that they speak. Look at the words David uses. He says they declare, they proclaim, they pour forth speech. They reveal knowledge. Their words go to the end of the earth. The heavens and everything in them are not silent witnesses to God. They are actively proclaiming his glory and greatness in words that you and I can understand. You get the sense here from what David says about just how active creation actually is in revealing God. I'd use another trip analogy, you know, creation is not like one of those signs that you see on the side of the road. I saw a lot of billboards You know, one that comes to mind is like McDonald's, you know, take exit 141 and turn left. Well, that that sign is there, but it's not really doing anything. It's just meant to catch your attention. Those things are static. They're passive. The heavens, though, the heavens right now are shouting at you. They are shouting out the glory of God at every moment. In every change, in every sunrise and sunset, they are telling you something. And they are telling you something new about the glory of God and his character. They cannot and will not remain silent. And they can never run out of things to say about God. But stop right now and listen. I can hear the cars. Maybe even hear the breeze. I cannot hear the heavens, at least not with my ears. They cannot speak with human words like you or me. But that actually makes the mystery so much greater because they do not need human words to witness to us about the glory of God. They are silent with human language, but their voice is heard and understood around the world. Every culture Every time, every individual person knows what they are saying. And that brings us really then to the third thing that David shows. David shows that God displays his glory in the heavens everywhere. I think that's why David chooses to focus on the sky. Everyone everywhere in the world can see the sky, right? The sky is everywhere. And if it's everywhere, that means its message about God is everywhere. Verse 4, their voice goes out throughout the whole, whole earth and their words to the end of the world. David kind of drives that point home by describing the sun. He says, we see God's glory in the beauty of the sun. We see his glory in its strength and joy and obeying God. But the most important point comes last. David concludes, There is nothing hidden from the heat of the sun. The sun's heat touches everything on its path. Right here, he's making the same point that he made in verse 4. Everything and everyone sees the sun and feels its heat, which means that everything and everyone sees God through it. Think about what David is saying here. When you walk outside of the service... He's saying, look up. It is hard. It's impossible, actually, to miss the sky. 
Right now we're at sunset. It is impossible for us to look out there and to miss day changing tonight. And David is saying then that it is equally hard to miss who God shows himself to be in those very same things. They are continually calling out to us about their creator and sustainer. We read from Romans 1, and the reason I chose that is because Paul in Romans 1 teaches us that there's a problem. Their voice is heard, but so many of us don't want to listen. See, God is not the problem. We are the problem. Unbelievers, those in their sin, purposefully ignore what God is clearly saying in creation. That is part of our sin, to willingly, purposefully ignore God's clear revelation. But David here writing this psalm, he's writing as a believer, reflecting on his God. What David says here is is then a, a statement of fact, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. That's a statement of fact. But as a believer, this is also a statement of faith. Only someone whose heart has been cleansed from sin, whose eyes have been opened by Christ, only this person has ears to hear creation singing God's glory and to join in that praise. God has revealed himself clearly in creation and he is bringing us to worship him. David goes on in this psalm secondly To show God shows us even more. He shows us his grace in his law. We see that in verses 7 to 11. You can see this dramatic shift in the psalm that starts in verse 7. David shifts topics, right? He goes from the heavens now to the law of God, from what God has done to what God has said. David actually emphasizes this change by changing the very structure of the psalm. If you read this out loud... You'll notice verse 7 and the next one sound really different from the first section. Even though David changes the topic, his theme remains the same. God shows himself to us. And we know that God actually shows us so much more about himself in the word than he does in creation. In fact, if God did not speak to us in his word, none of us could be saved because we wouldn't know about a saving love for us in Christ. We would know his eternal power. We would know his commandments, but we would not know his love in Christ. As we look at verses 7 through 11, what David says here can be summarized with one word, and that word is grace. God shows us his grace in his law. David uses six different words in these verses to describe God's law. He says law, testimony, precepts, commandments, fears, and rules. David, using these words, is describing different aspects, different parts of God's law. And when you and I think about God's law, when we use that, we're usually talking about the Ten Commandments, right? Maybe sometimes we're talking about other laws in the Old Testament. We saw some of those this morning. Um, the ceremonial and the moral law, and then also the judicial law, many of the laws in the Old Testament. But when David is talking about God's law, he's not being that narrow. He's actually talking about everything that God has said. The whole Bible, really, is in view here. 
So you think about the whole Bible. The Bible is God's commands. That's true. All that God has revealed to his people, to us, about how we need to live. But it's also what God has revealed to his people about what he's already done for them. Think about the book of Genesis. What has God done? And also, God shows us about what he, or about how he's going to enable us to obey. He teaches about his forgiveness. He teaches us about his salvation. He teaches us about his power and in the gift of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Now, we have more of the Bible than David did, but David is thinking about those very same things as he looks at God's law. What God shows to us in his law then shows his grace. Part of how we see his grace is because he is freely giving us his word. It is a gracious gift for us. And we see what a good gift God has given us when we look at how David describes the law and describes then what God also does through his law. David says the law is perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, and it's true. All of these things we should expect to be true because the law reflects God's character. What God says in every passage of the Bible shows who he is. But God also works through his word. He works through the law. He makes it effective in our life. Notice what David says here. Look at his verbs. He says that it revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes. It endures forever and is altogether righteous. The first four of those are really focused on what God does in us. Through the law, he produces life in us. He gives us wisdom, joy, and knowledge. Any one of us who's been a Christian for really any length of time knows that this is true. God works by his word through his spirit powerfully in our lives. That's why, for example, that we emphasize preaching and reading the Word of God. The Bible is not an ancient dead book. It is God's powerful, active Word. Think about what the author of Hebrews says. The Word of God right now, today, is living and active. So think then about what God has given us in the law and what he does in the law. Let's just unpack one of David's descriptions here, just to get a glimpse of what he's doing here. Look at verse 7. Just the first one, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. God's word is perfect. It has no errors. But David means more than that because he's saying it's perfect because it has exactly what each and every one of us needs. We have all that we need in Scripture to be made like Jesus Christ. Remember, that's the goal. And that is what God has given us in the word. But what does God do through the word? Well, he revives our soul. God brings true life through his word. You know, we know that when we came to faith, how did we come to faith? Because we heard the gospel. We heard the gospel and God worked in the gospel to give us new spiritual life. But God is also continuing to revive us today. He is continuing to give us life, to feed us, to sustain us through his word. I would encourage each one of you to go home and to meditate on these other descriptions. They are rich for us, and they are very, extremely practical for our lives. But if you remember, I said 
that God is showing us his grace in the law. We've already seen that part of God's grace is the very fact that he gave us his law, but God's work through his law, what we just looked at, also shows his grace. Because what has God done? God has looked at sinners, and he has given us his law to save us and to sanctify us. That is what he is doing. That is how he has chosen to work, through his word. doesn't matter what part of the Bible you read. It could be a law, a promise, any story. God uses every part of his word to be at work in us, to show us and to give us his grace. That is grace that you and I do not deserve. Outside of Jesus Christ, we do not deserve that kind of grace. And yet God has given us his word. He's actually given it to us even before we have even believed on him. That is God's powerful grace. That really points us to the most gracious aspect of God's law. It's who gave it to us. It is God himself. Notice that each time David repeats of the Lord. It's the law of the Lord. It's the testimony of the Lord. All these things are from the Lord. If you look at the first part of the psalm, he was talking about God. But now that he focuses on the law, he changes the name of God. He says the Lord. That's the covenant name of God. The name God uses to show his special relationship with his people. So that means that this law that he's given us is the law of a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. It is a law for his covenant people. God has graciously entered into a relationship with us, and his law explains how that is true, what he has done, and how you and I can enjoy fellowship with him. The Bible, every part of the Bible, when it's properly understood, is full of God's grace. It's full of God's grace because he is bringing undeserving sinners into an eternal relationship with him. David sees that this law is good because it reflects the character of our good God. He sees that believers need this law that God provides for every part of our life. Do you see how the law then shows us God's grace? God has graciously given us his law. He graciously works through his law in our lives. And he does this because he has graciously, freely entered into a relationship with us. So we've seen with David that God shows us his glory and he shows us his grace. How do we respond to what God has shown us about himself? Well, we see third then, and finally, that God wants us to show our dependence on him In response, look at verses 12 to 14. What David is doing is he is now applying what he knows about God's glory and God's grace to his own life. And this is a model for us as well. But again, seems to be another abrupt shift. What is David doing? He's talked about God's glory and grace, and now he's seeming to do something completely new. But if we look closely, we'll see that there's a very important connection between what David has already said and now what David prays. In verse 12, for instance, David is praying for forgiveness. And David starts by recognizing our limitations. He says, who can discern his errors? 
right? His point is, who knows the true extent of his sins? None of us, right? The truth is that none of us truly knows how often we sin, how deeply we sin, or so often what our sins actually are. And when David looks at just how limited he is, that drives him to ask God for his forgiveness. He says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Right? The point is that these faults, these sins, they are hidden to, God, to, hidden to David, but none of them are hidden from God. Do you see how this prayer then connects to what, God, what David knows about God? It is God, our creator, who knows us so well that he knows even what our hidden sins are. And it is also God as our gracious redeemer who is able to forgive us from all of those sins. David then also relies on God. He asks God for his power to keep him from sinning. Now, your prayer and my prayer, we're really not, our prayers are not really complete. If we are only asking for God's forgiveness, we also need to ask for his power to keep us from sin. And that's exactly what David prays for in verse 13. He's asking for God to keep him from presumptuous sins. Those are sins he knows about, the sins that he continues to struggle with. And instead of those sins having dominion over him, he prays that God would have dominion, that God in his power would protect him, that God who made the world and God who has saved him would use that same power to protect him from his own sin. And David concludes with God's forgiveness and power because he says, If you do these things, then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. David is not claiming to be perfect. None of us will be perfect this side of heaven. But he is trusting in God's free forgiveness and God's promise that he will continue to grow him in holiness. Again, verse 13, David is applying what he knows about God. He knows he needs God's power and grace to keep him holy. David then concludes this psalm with a prayer for God to accept his words. This is not some kind of pious-sounding conclusion David tacks on here. No, this is a statement in recognition that he is only a man. He's only a very limited and sinful man trying to reflect on and praise God. But even more than that, he recognizes his limitations. He recognizes his sin. He knows he is a sinner trying to understand and praise his God and his Redeemer. David, even in this last verse, is recognizing that it is God, God who enables our praise through his Spirit and graciously accepts even our weak, sin-filled praise as we seek to obey him. So do you see how, how David is actually expressing his dependence on God through his prayers? He's taking what he knows about God And he's applying it to himself. He's applying it to his situation. And what he knows about God and what he knows about himself leads to dependence. That's true for David and that's true for you and I. But our response to God isn't just captured here in these last three verses of the psalm. It's actually found in the whole psalm. 
We can use these very same words as Christ himself did when he was here on earth to praise God for who he is, to praise God for what he has made and to praise God for bringing us into a relationship with us through the sacrifice of Christ and then giving us his good law. It's really one of the benefits of of praying through a psalm like this on your own. Our hearts need to be shaped by the words of Scripture here. We do not want to hear a psalm like this and just have it go through, go in one ear and out the other. We want the words of Scripture in a psalm like this to sink into our hearts. But you can also use the general pattern of this psalm and apply to other things, to other areas of creation, to other qualities of God's word, to other attributes of God. Like I said, a a psalm like this is immensely practical for our Christian life. Pray that God would then show you how to praise him and pray in many other ways than just what David says here. But I also want to close with a challenge. I want to close with a challenge, a call to praise God even more. Think about David here. This is a psalm reflecting on many of those Old Testament laws and those promises which so often are very shadowy. And even in those shadows, this is the amount of joy and praise coming from David. But what about you and me. Where do we stand? Well, we see God's revelation in creation. We see his revelation in his word. And now we see his revelation in Christ himself. Hebrews 1 says Christ is the final, fullest revelation of God. We don't need anything more than what we have now. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of of his nature. That means that we can see God so much more than clearly than David could as we look on Christ. As we look on Christ as our savior, as the one who came to live, to serve, to die, to be raised and to be reigning now for us. We can see God's power. We can see God's glory. We can see God's grace displayed in Jesus Christ, his son. It's really in Christ and in Christ alone that his sacrifice for sin, his resurrection to everlasting life that you and I are forgiven. It's only in those things that we can be kept from sin as David has prayed for. It's only in those things that we even want to praise God like David does. And it's only in those things, the work of Christ, that our praises can be accepted by God. My challenge, my encouragement, my prayer is for us to praise God for who he has shown himself to be, not just in creation, not just in in his word, but most of all, in Christ. Praising God for who he is and what he has done is really the the role, the task, the joy of every believer from the moment of our salvation forever to praise God over and over and over again 
I said that the heavens will never run out of things to say about their creator and their sustainer. We have so much more as God's people, as those he has saved and has made great, wonderful promises to. We have so much more in Christ to praise God for. If the heavens will never run out, things to praise God for, how much more you and I, day by day by day, in an eternity of days, we will never run out of things to praise our great and glorious God and our wonderful Savior. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, that is a great truth for us. This whole passage is such an encouragement for us that we need to look and see what you are telling us, to look at the world around us, to see your power, your character, and to look deeply into your word, to see Christ as the one who gives us the law, fulfills your word, and now is gracing us, giving us the obedience that we need. Lord, we also know that we need your forgiveness. We need your power to be at work in us. We would echo the words of David. Lord, that you would forgive us our hidden sins, keep us from the sins that we know, the sins that so easily entangle us. And Lord, that as we praise you, as we rely on your power and ask for your forgiveness, Lord, that you would make those words of our hearts and the meditations of our souls that they would be pleasing to you that you would accept us now and you would accept us as we come to you again and again through the work, the blood, the sacrifice, the obedience of Jesus Christ. Teach us to praise you. Teach us to glory in who you are and what you have done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.